Father, again, it's good to be back together and uh, having an opportunity to study your word. We uh, thank you for the chance to enjoy the holiday and uh, spend time not just eating, but thanking you. But Lord, uh, we pray that you would help us to understand that Thanksgiving is a way of life, not just a holiday. And if we would really understand that, we would really start to experience the peace and the joy that your word talks about. Father, today as uh, we open up your word, as we continue in our study of Revelation, thank you for the things you're going to show us. And thank you that in this one chapter, there's going to be so many places in your word that we can go to, to kind of double check and uh, cross-reference to see how what you're showing us here is not something that has been added on at the end. You, you've been telling this all along. So Lord, again, take us to the scriptures you want us to go to. Help us to see what's coming up, and may we be encouraged by the fact that you already know how it's all going to play out, and you know how it's going to play out for us as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to get started. John says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. We're going to stop here and break this passage down. Now again, for those of you that don't know or or haven't heard me say this, um, we break down and study Revelation by comparing it with the rest of the book. This is one of, one of the best ways to study the Scripture and to understand how what God is teaching us and what's actually here. And so as we deal with this section here where we see this woman who's dressed with the, uh, the sun and the moon and stars, there's a lot of dis- discrepancy amongst commentators as to who this woman is. There are some that say she's, this is the church. There are some that say that this is uh, Mary. Uh, others that say that this is Israel. And I'm going to show you scripturally tonight that this is not the church, this is not Mary, but it is Israel. This woman represents Israel, and I can show you scripturally why. Like I say, there's people out there who say, well, I believe it's this. Make sure they show you scripturally why they believe it's what it is. So let's just take a time and deal with this woman first of all. All right? Uh, go to Genesis chapter 37. All right? In Genesis chapter 37, we'll look at verses 5 through 11. This is the story where Joseph has his visions and his dreams of what's going to be coming down the road for him. And in chapter 37, starting in verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. 
Now, did this dream come true? And when did it come true? In Egypt, when he became in power with Pharaoh and his family had to come and bow down to him and they and to get grain. And you see, though, in this dream, though, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars, here in Revelation we see this woman's dressed in the sun and the moon and twelve stars. How come there's eleven stars bowing down to him in the dream, but there's twelve in the woman's crown? Because Joseph's one of them. This represents Israel. The sun and the moon and the stars is representing Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. And this woman clothed with the sun and the moon and the twelve stars is Israel. How can we know that it's not uh, not the church according to this passage right here? The Israel gave birth to the woman, right? The woman gave birth to the son, which you're going to see the child is Jesus. The church didn't give birth to Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. So it's definitely not the church. Alright? So there are those who try to make it the church. It's not the church because the church doesn't give birth to Jesus. Now, one of the bigger wrestling points, though, is whether or not it's Mary. And some of you have ever seen some pictures of Mary in some of the Roman Catholic uh, uh, artwork. You'll see a picture of Mary, and she's described like this. She's painted with uh, the sun and the moon and the crown of twelve stars. How can you tell me that this scripturally is not Mary? There is scriptural evidence for this, and I'll show you what it is, but can anybody give me any evidence for it? Now, I gave you a tricky question, because if you've been following along, we haven't gotten to the passage yet where it's answered. Go to chapter 12, verse 13. Alright? It says, when the dragon saw, chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time. Now, when is the dragon going to be hurled to the earth and pursue this woman? In the second half of the tribulation. And it's in that time period that he pursues the woman, which we know is Israel. Mary's not going to be pursued. Mary's in heaven. Mary's not coming down to earth to be pursued by the dragon. Remember, John was told to write what, what was. Sorry, what was, what is now, and what is to come. We're in the section where he's writing about what is to come. And in this whole section here, as you're about to see as we break down Satan being hurled to the earth, he pursues the woman. The woman is Israel. This is a time period in which he's going to be chasing her, and we'll be getting to that in a little bit. So, the woman is who? Israel. Israel. Not the church, not Mary. woman is Israel. Second thing we see now, though, is we see that the child. Now, this one's pretty simple here. The child is Jesus. And, and how we can tell is, look at verse 5. It says, she, sorry, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Now, does that bring to mind anything we've already read in Revelation? Actually, in Revelation chapter 2, we saw that passage referred to where it talks about ruling with an iron scepter. But it actually goes back and corresponds with Psalm 2. So put a bookmark here and go with me to Psalms chapter 2. We're going to look at the whole chapter. Uh, Psalm chapter 2. But whoever this child is, is going to rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Alright? Psalm chapter 2, and I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Again, we know all the time, it talks about the anointed one, it's Jesus. 
Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He rebukes them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath, saying, I have installed my King on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And the Son here is referred to Jesus. And this is another passage that later on in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer refers back to this same psalm where he talks about, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. Jesus has always existed, but He took on the role of a Son. He took on the role of a servant uh, when He came to earth to die for the sins of the world. But remember, He is going to come back literally and rule and reign from where? From Jerusalem. And He's going to sit on the holy hill in Zion, and He's going to rule and rule all the nations. And God says, I'm going to give you all the nations as an inheritance. But He's going to rule them with an iron scepter. So, back in Revelation chapter 12, we see that the woman, Israel, gave birth to a child, and He's going to rule the nations with an iron scepter, and that's Jesus. Alright? So, who was standing there ready to kill the child, though, when it was born? Satan. Satan. Now, the dragon is who is described of here, but again, as easy it was as it was to describe that the child was Jesus, it's even easier to describe that this dragon is Satan. Because look down at verse 9. It says, The great dragon, verse 9 of chapter 12, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So it's very clear the scripture says who, who the dragon is. The dragon is Satan. Alright? So, John sees this great sign in heaven. Now again, when you look at Revelation, if you try to read everything chronologically like, well, it just happened here and this is going to happen next, there's obvious that there are times that all of a sudden a new scene appears. And now we're seeing a picture of something that has already occurred in time in the sense of Israel giving birth to Jesus and Him being taken up to heaven in the ascension and, and all, and the dragon going after Him and, and all. But look at what it says, though. It says, he was, he was snatched up to God and to His throne, and the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for how many days? 1,260 days. Well, this is actually corresponding with two other passages in Revelation that we've already, one we've looked at, one we haven't. Go back to Revelation chapter 11. find my note here. Yep, verse 3. Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. It says, I will... Actually, verse 2 is where I want to go. But exclude the outer court, he said. Don't measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. That's that same time period. And I'll give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. Remember when we looked at that study, that doesn't mean that that's the whole end of the second, the whole second half of the tribulation, math-wise, it doesn't work. So that 1,260 days of the two witnesses is not the same thing as the 1,260 days here, because this is the second half of the tribulation period. Remember, the Antichrist is going to come into the temple at the midway point of the tribulation, declare himself to be God. He's going to pursue Israel, 
and Israel is going to be taken and rescued in the wilderness. And we're going to deal with that a little bit later in our study today. Uh, he's, uh, Israel's going to go and run from him. Remember, Jesus said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now remember, when Jesus said that, Antiochus Epiphanes had already done all that he had done in the temple. So he wasn't referring to Antiochus Epiphanes. He said, when you see it, run. If you're on your roof of your house, don't go down into your house to get your coat. Oh, woe unto women who are nursing or pregnant at that time. Take, pray that your, your, flea and your flight doesn't take place in the winter time. He said it's going to be unbelievably bad at that time. But when you hear, run. Get out of Jerusalem. Get out of that area because he's going to go after you. And the Antichrist is going to go after the nation of Israel. Of course, empowered by the dragon. So we see here, though, that he's been, they've given power to trample the city for 42 months, which is three and a half years or 1,260 days. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse 5. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 5 says, The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for how long? 42 months. Once again, half of the tribulation period. That's three and a half years. All right? But what I want to do now is I want to take a real in-depth study of the description of the dragon that we've skipped over in our study tonight. Alright, let's go back to chapter 12, verse 1. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. It says, His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman and was about to give birth so he might devour her child. The moment it was born, she gave birth to a son and a male child who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And then the child was snatched up. The dragon is described as a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. Now, does that sound familiar at all for those of you that were here when we did our study of Daniel? There's a reason why we took a break in the study of Revelation and went and did that big study of Daniel. Go real quickly with me to Daniel chapter 7. Kind of refresh some things we've looked at here. Again, I want you to be just assured of the fact that what is written here in the book of Revelation has been written about all throughout the Bible all along. Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 7. It says, After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had, a lar- it had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the other former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now look at verses 20 through 25. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. 
He will speak against the Most High and oppress His saints and try to change the set times and laws. The saints will be handed over to Him for how long? A time, one year, times, two years, and half a time. Again, we see it again. Three and a half years is the second half of the tribulation where it's going to get really, really bad. But here, in this passage, we see that Daniel had this vision of the fourth beast and it's this kingdom that is coming, which is what we might call the revival of the Roman Empire. And he's saying that during this, this time, this kingdom is going to be in complete composed of ten kings, or ten nations, if you will, which will comprise this, this fourth kingdom, or fourth beast, I guess, would be the best way to put it. But then during that time period, another horn is going to come up, and is going to take over three of the horns, or in other words, whoever the Antichrist is, is going to subdue three of the kingdoms, and get rid of them, and he's going to take control over, over that, that kingdom. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 17, and you'll see some more description of this. Alright, Revelation chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. It says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Here again we see this beast with seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The title was written, this title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast you, which you saw once was... Now is not, and will come up out of the abyss, and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life, from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Now, at this point, if I had a dry erase board, it would probably work real well for me to kind of illustrate some of these things to you and break them down, but hopefully I can do this for you verbally. Let's take a look at verses 9 and following. So this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits, and they are also seven kings. All right, this beast, or... We know him as the dragon right now in Revelation chapter 12. You're going to see when we get to Revelation 13 that this beast is going to come up out of the sea, the Antichrist, and he's also going to have seven heads and uh, ten, ten horns. But th this, this uh, beast that we see with the seven heads and the, and, and the ten horns, let's break down the seven heads. It says here that there are seven hills in which the woman sits, and there are also seven kings. All right, So whatever the seven heads are, it's referred to as 
Seven hills in which the woman sits, and seven kings. Now there are those who say that this means that it is Rome. But I want you to be careful here, and let me explain to you why. There's more to it here than that. Alright? If we're going to say, well, Rome is the city that sits on seven hills, so it must be Rome. Well, you can't use that as your reason for why, because actually... Um, Athens, Greece sits on seven hills. Why can't we say it's Athens, Greece? Amman, Jordan sits on seven hills, a city on seven hills. Why can't we say it's Amman, Jordan? So we can't just say, well, Rome sits on seven hills, so that's it. So we've got to look more closely here. He said it's not only seven hills in which woman sits. Let's hold off on that for right now. Let's, we don't understand that one. We'll come back to it. I think we will understand it in a little bit. We don't understand that just yet, so put that off to the side. But he said it's also representing seven kings, or seven kingdoms, if you will. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. So at this time, when John has been given this revelation here, and given this insight, you have to understand that there were five that had already fallen. The first one was Egypt, was the first kingdom that's already fallen. The second was Assyria. The third was Babylon. After Babylon came who? Medes and the Persians, remember from Daniel. After Medes and Persians came who? Greece. Greece. Greece was the fifth one. So at this point, five kingdoms of the world had already fallen. Egypt was the kingdom of the world, and it fell. Then you had uh, Assyria, and it fell. Babylon, and it fell. Medo-Persia, and it fell. Greece, and it fell. He said, it, they said five have fallen, one is. What's the one that is at this time of the writing of Revelation? Rome. Rome is in authority right now. And then it goes on and says, the other has not yet come. Now who is the other? It's the Antichrist's kingdom, but to be honest with you, in my notes, I just put a big question mark. We don't know. It sure looks like the rebuilding of the, of the, of the European Union could be it, because it's fitting the, some of the other prophecies of Scripture and how in Daniel chapter 9 we talked about how the ruler of the, of the, the army of the nation who will come is going to come, and most likely the, the Antichrist is going to become from the revived Roman Empire. And so it sure looks like what's going on in Europe right now with the regathering of, the, of what used to be the Roman Empire it could be possible. Possibly it. Of course, there's been all these debates over the years of, well, how many kingdoms? And at first we thought once they got to 12, ooh, that's it. And then they started adding, and then there were 12, and then there were 15. And, you know, I mean, sorry, once they got to 10, that was it. And we don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, they're, they're jockeying right now. All we know is that there's going to be one more kingdom that is going to come and be a world power, which there has not been. All right? Now, during that time period... The Antichrist is going to come, because you look here again now, it says, the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. Verse 11, he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Remember, we saw in the prophecies that the Antichrist is going to come up, a, a, another horn's going to come, there were ten horns, then another one's going to come and it's going to take over three of them, and he's going to have power and he's going to rule that kingdom during the last little bit. So, just, if, just because there's another fourth I'm sorry, seventh kingdom of the world, doesn't mean the Antichrist will be in power at that time. Looks like there's going to be the rebuilding of this kingdom, and then whoever the Antichrist is as the individual who's going to take over that kingdom and rule it. So even if there is a rebuilding of the Roman Empire right now, and there was a one world government, it doesn't mean, according to Scripture, that the Antichrist will be in charge, the first one in charge of it is the Antichrist, does it? No, here we just see from Scripture there's going to be a seventh kingdom, so the seven heads actually refers more to seven kingdoms. 
These seven heads or hills or kings refer to seven world kingdoms or powers. Again, five have already fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One is, which is Rome at that time, the other has not yet come, and it'll most likely be a revived Roman Empire. Alright? And so that's what I want you to understand. Now, go back to Revelation chapter 13. We're going to get there in the next study. We won't get there tonight, but I want you to at least see it. At the end of our section, we're going to read in chapter 13, verse 1, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and he had what? Ten horns and seven heads. Why does the dragon have seven heads and ten horns, and the beast have seven heads and ten horns? They're connected. (laughs) All right? This one last kingdom is going to be a world power empowered by Satan. And actually, if you look at all these kingdoms that have had ruler of the, rule over the whole earth, they've none of them been godly kingdoms. Go ahead, Edith. I have a question. Sure. Who's the drunken prostitute? Who the drunken prostitute represents? I can answer to you now, but I'm going to have you wait till chapter 17. We're going to wait. You know, just gonna, he's just going to keep you coming back. Going to keep you coming back. But I will tell you a real quick, simple thing. It's all the false religions combined. All the false religions combined. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, there are some that look very Christian who fit into that category. And we'll talk about that more as we get there. But we'll study Revelation 17 when we get to that point. I just wanted to illustrate the fact that all throughout the Scripture we've been seeing this, this beast with seven heads and ten horns. Alright? Now, going back to Revelation chapter 12, the dragon, who's empowering this one last kingdom, one last world power, um, his tail does What? Sweeps a third of the stars from the sky. Now, to be really honest with you, most people have an agreement on what this means, but it's also, unless you're willing to really do some work, it's really hard to prove it scripturally. But I think I can. Alright, and I've done some research and I get my research guys doing the work for me and I spent some time on the phone tonight with Tony Kessinger to double check some of this stuff and all. and, and, uh, And I believe that the third of the stars are what used to be angels, we know them now as demons. This is the only place in Scripture that actually gives us any idea as to how many angels fell when Satan had his rebellion. Nowhere in Scripture does it say how many, but here we see that a third of the angels, when Satan had his rebellion, remember he wanted to be like God and and he was removed from his position of authority and leadership in heaven, and a third of the angels went with him. We see now it was a third, and we know them now as demons. But you say, Jim, how do you know that these stars are actually demons? Because a lot of times in Scripture, whenever it says stars, it means what? Stars. It means stars. I mean, what you see in the sky is what... But there, I'm going to show you, there are some evidences in Scripture, twice in the Old Testament, twice in the New Testament, where the word star also refers to angelic beings. Okay? Uh, one we see is in the New Testament is here in Revelation chapter 12. Another one we see is in Revelation chapter 9. Go back to Revelation 9 and look at verses 1 and 2. It says, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss, and when he opened the abyss, the smoke rose from it like a smoke from a gigantic furnace, and as you remember, the locusts came out, the demons we talked about. This star is called a he. This star might even be Satan himself at this point. 
given the authority to open up the abyss and have these demon locusts come out. But in this passage, it's obvious that the star does not mean twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's an angelic host. It's an angelic being. Okay? I'm going to show you the two other places, and they're in the Old Testament. The first one I want you to see is in Job chapter 38. In Job chapter 38, this is at the end of Job's time of uh, his testing, and God shows up and says to him, Then the Lord answered Job, chapter 38, verse 1, Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel without word, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Here, and you see in this passage, the, the stars are referring to angels. Alright? The musical ones at that. Yes. The other place you will see stars referred to as angelic beings is in Daniel chapter 8. Sorry, chapter 10. Daniel chapter... No, I was right. Daniel chapter 8. I should know better than to question my memory. Daniel chapter 8. I just said that because my wife's in the room. Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. Here he's got the vision of the ram and the goat and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Out of one of them, one of the horns, uh, came another horn, which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land, that's Israel. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. Now, this individual that it's referring to is not going to have the ability to go reach up into the stars and actually knock stars down. But because this individual is empowered by Satan, they will have an effect on angelic beings. So when Satan's tail, or the dragon's tail, swept a third of the stars from the sky, in this passage here in Revelation chapter 12, a third of the angels went with him in his rebellion. Now... How many are there? How many is that? I have no idea. But it appears from Scripture that a third of the angels rebelled with Satan in his rebellion. And they are now what we would know as demons. They still have all their same properties, if you will, that they had before. They're just now on the evil side. Alright? And so Satan... This, has been, this battle's been waging for a long time. Go ahead, Duke. Are they thrown out of heaven now? Are they thrown out of heaven now? No. They have, they've lost their position... There are some, and we don't have time to get into this, but if you're interested in you can do this study later on. And Peter, it talks about how some are being held in chains until the time of judgment. Most likely those who, uh, the ones who got involved in that sin mess in Genesis 6. But as you're about to see a little bit later on when we see the rest of chapter 12, Satan will finally be cast out of heaven. Right now, Satan is still allowed in heaven. And so are the angels that are the bad guys, if you will. All right? Except the ones that are in Except the ones that are in the abyss and the ones that are in that place of torment until then. But demons are real. They live in the heavenly realms. And we're going to get to that. So if you'll hang on to that, we'll get to it. Go ahead, Allison. Are the four that are holding back the winds also potentially in that 
My guess would be yes. The question was, the four that are holding back the four winds of the earth and waiting for that one moment in time, are they in that grouping of these bad bad angels? I lean toward yes. We really don't know. Right, they let loose destruction. Yet at the same time, sometimes, you know, if, if the good angels, if you will, are told by God to do something, they'll do it. You know, uh, there was that one angel, Gabriel, I think was going to strike Gideon dead. I'm not Gideon, um, but uh, um, Balaam was going to strike Balaam dead if he went any further. But the donkey, you know, didn't permit it. So uh, you can't say that the angels wouldn't kill. So we don't know. But there's a possibility those four could be on the bad side. We don't know. Good. Yeah, but he was fighting against the other angels, or the demons, if you will. They were fighting against each other in that. The prince of Persia at that time, whatever powerful demon was in the authority in that area. Folks, I I can't get into it in too much detail because we really don't have enough information to go much further than this. But angels and demons are very, very, very real. And the Bible talks about how we each have angels ministering to us. They minister the servants of God. In the same way in which angels came and ministered to Jesus at the end of His wilderness testing that we see in Matthew chapter 4. Angels are ministering servants to us. Sometimes even angels appear as human beings and we're visited by angels and we don't even know it. They're instruments and they're they're, they're tools of the Lord, if you will, servants of God, to serve us. I'm going to tell you an interesting story. And, and, And to this day, I believe without question... That, I, that we were visited by an angel. When I was, years ago, pastor up in Chicago, we took a group of men and filled a 15-passenger van and drove from Chicago to Washington, D.C. for uh, back when Promise Keepers was trying to get a million men onto the mall in Washington to pray for the nation. And so we, we wanted to be a part of that. And we traveled out there. And we went out by faith because we really didn't even know where we were going. Most of us all in the van, none of us had ever been to D.C. and knew how to park or where to go or how to even find the mall, to be honest with you. All right? And uh, so we actually got to a hotel that we had reserved outside of the city of Ways, not too, too far from a subway station that could get us in. But we really didn't know where we were going. And so we um, dropped all the guys off at the hotel, and me and the minister of music named Mitch, he and I went to go get gas in the van. But to be honest with you, the real reason we went to go get gas was not just because we needed gas, it was also because he and I needed to go get away from the rest of the guys and pray because we didn't know where we were going. And we didn't want the rest of the guys to know, you know, because I'm, I'm pastor, you know, I'm supposed to know it all. So, uh, so Mitch and I go and get some gas, and when, after we get our gas, we pull off into the parking lot of this gas station and we started praying Lord you're going to have to help us we don't even know what to do tomorrow and we're supposed to be at the mall and how do we even get there well all of a sudden this lady walks up to the van and she says are you guys with that promise keepers group that's going to DC and we said yeah we didn't have anything written on our van or anything it was just a white 15 passenger van we said yeah and she said well could you do me a favor and I said what's that Uh, and uh, she said well my husband wants to go to it but he doesn't know where he's going Uh, oh sorry he he doesn't have a ride he doesn't have a ride are you guys staying in the hotel right over by? And she described it. And we said, yes, the same hotel we're in. She said, well, so are we. When you leave in the morning, could he meet you in the lobby and go with you? We said, sure. Well, that's no problem. We'll throw him in the van. Do you know where you're going? <laughs> when he got... I didn't ask that question. Because, you know, we're supposed to know what we're doing. We're not going to tell him. We don't know where we're going. So <clears throat> we, we, we agreed to meet him at 6 in the morning or whatever it was. This guy shows up. And we meet him in the lobby. And, and, and I'm not kidding you. I think his name was like... 
Charles Brown or something. It was the most basic name you never had. And he gets in the van and he sits right behind Mitch who's driving. And uh, we all introducing ourselves and everything. And, and we said, hey, have you ever been to D.C.? He goes, oh yeah, I go to D.C. all the time. Do you know how to get where we're going? He said, oh yeah, that's not a problem. And he just stood there and he gave directions. And he literally got us to the best subway stop. We parked for, not only for free. We got on the subway at the very beginning of the line. Alright, by the time we got to the next station, because so many men, and it was over a million, were in D.C. to do this, you couldn't get on the subway. Every stop from there on in, all the way to the city, the subway was packed like sardines, and there were hundreds waiting to get on at every stop. They'd see the train pull up and realize, oh, that one's full, we've got to wait for the next one. And we actually got on the first car when it was empty, rode all the way in, and we said, well, what do we do here? He said, it's real simple. He said, just follow me. And we walked through the subway, he took us up the right side of stairs and when we got upstairs above ground he said here's what you need to do just go right down the street until you hit sudden so and you're going to take a left and you'll you'll walk right into it you won't miss it well we said look you're going by yourself why don't you just hang out with us today he said my work is done well the guys the rest of the guys were heading out and so i was back there talking to this guy and saying hey why don't you come with us he said my work is done i said well okay and i turned to make sure that i didn't lose my group and I turned back around to check with him one more time, and he was gone, folks. He was gone. I don't question for a minute that God sent an angel that day to help us find our way. The Bible says that they're real. Sad thing is, so are demons. And what people don't understand is, in the same way in which you can invite Jesus Christ in you can actually invite evil spirits in. Now, the good news is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be indwelt by a demon. It's impossible. Jesus Himself said, a house divided against itself will not stand. But people who don't know the Lord, who play with Ouija boards, and who, who do, go to astrology and all that kind of junk, you actually can invite evil spirits in. They call them spirit guides now. Make them sound nice. But it's bad. It's real bad stuff. And there are people who are actually indwelt and possessed by demons. The good news is, when Jesus comes in, they leave. But even Christians can be oppressed by it, by playing with the wrong side. And so, here in this passage, we see that this war has been going on in the heavenlies for a long, long time. And when Jesus was born, Satan wanted Him dead. So much so that He killed all of the male children in that whole area from two years old and down. But God protected Him. And then He was ascended up into heaven and protected and taken to the throne. And He's going to come back one day and rule everything. And one day the demons and Satan himself are going to be put away forever and ever. But right now, you've got to understand what's going on. When we read what we're reading about in the world and what's going on between Iran and Israel and all the different nations, folks, I hope you understand we're not battling against flesh and blood. This is a battle that's been going on in the spiritual realm for a long, long time. The good news is, God's already told us how it's all going to play out. We've got to remain faithful to trust Him, pray for the people of Israel, live in obedience to God, be faithful to know what the book says and be encouraged by it. And the Bible teaches that I believe without question that He's going to gather His bride before these final days occur. Alright? So now, go on to verse 7 so we can try to get to the end of the chapter here. You have a question? Go ahead. It's up to the spot of my mind. Uh, what you said, does that depict to me that the devil, being in the high position he was with him, 
He doesn't know. He, he's not all-knowing. Because if he, if he were, he wouldn't have tried his rebellion. Okay, I didn't mean that. Right. But he tells, he tells me that he knew God's plan because... How can you pick out that one little baby to destroy? Well, well, here's the thing. He didn't know who the baby was. Why was he sitting there? Well, no, no. In this thing, this is just a picture of the whole thing. You have to realize, when Jesus was born, he wasn't sitting there right then. To try to kill him. You understand what I'm saying? This is a picture of the whole thing. But back in Genesis chapter 3, we have what we call the Proto-Evangelium, or the first gospel. When God says to Satan that Eve's seed is going to crush your head. Remember? You're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Now, Satan doesn't know who that is. And so whenever, you look in the Scriptures, whenever someone righteous appeared, it's ascendant of Eve, if you will, you had, they gave birth to two kids, Cain and Abel. One was considered righteous in the eyes of God, the other one wasn't, right? What happened? Satan empowered Cain to kill Abel, the righteous one. Try to get rid of that godly seed. All the way through, they try to get rid of the godly seed. But then there finally comes a point where Satan knows what the Word is, and he knows that the God's, what God's plan is, and you're about to see in this next section, he also knows when he's ultimately cast out of heaven in a short period of time, that his time is very, very short. So, did he, did he have all knowledge? No. But he does know a lot, because there's been a lot revealed here. He knows there's been a lot revealed. Now let's read it, starting in verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud, a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, and therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in, in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wing, the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing up the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Has anybody noticed that the dragon's called dragon and serpent and dragon and serpent all the way through this? Did you catch that? See, it's the same one from the beginning. Alright? So here's what we're going to deal with in the little bit of time we have left here. This casting of Satan down to the earth is a future one, not what we call the fall of Satan. Okay? Satan had his fall. He lost his position. Uh, some There's lots of debate as to when in our time period it happened. Some think it was before the creation of the world. Some people think it was after the creation of the world in the time of the garden that he was cast down, you know, in a sense. But he didn't... He, that's what we call the fall. But this
this casting out of heaven is a future one. Because right now, Satan is still in the presence of God, and I can show you scripturally why. One is from this passage right here. Look what it says in verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Right now, he is able to go into the presence of God and to accuse us continually. Go, go with me real quickly to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verses uh, 10 and 11 and 12. Ephesians 6, verses 10, 11 and 12. Paul says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the, of the evil in where? In the heavenly realms. Or some of your translations say in the heavenlies. Back in, we're not going to read there, but back in Job chapter 1, verse 6, and Job chapter 2, verse 1, remember, on the day that the angels appeared before God and Satan came with them. Satan is allowed to be in the presence of God right now. But he's on a leash. He's got authority, he's the prince of the power of the air. But at this point, at this point in the last time period, if you will, the tribulation period, that last seven year period, there's going to be a final battle. There's been skirmishes, continually being skirmishes in the heavenly realms, but there's going to be a final battle. And Satan and his followers are going to be cast out of heaven and out of the presence of God eternally down to the earth. And when he goes down to the earth, he's not going to be a happy camper because he knows his time is short. Go ahead. Actually, what you're talking about there is actually the abode of the dead. And that's it's similar, but not quite. There, there are those who believe that paradise and Hades are in the same place, but they're separated. Right. You know, kind of a deal. But this is more than that. We're talking in wherever God is, what we would call heaven. Of course, you can't say where God is, because He's everywhere. Right. But in that spiritual realm, in His presence, Satan is allowed to come and have communication with Him. At this point, he's going to be cast out of that ability. He's already lost his position of authority in the sense that he was one of the cherubim and he was one of the four, the four living creatures as we see. He's lost that position, but he's been in the presence of God doing his evil work, but God using his evil work for God's ultimate purposes. At this point, though, he's going to be just totally on the earth. And he's going to empower, actually come to indwell the Antichrist himself. And going to be one bad dude. I'm just going to just tell you straight up. With Satan empowering him, it's going to be one bad individual, that's for sure. But look closely, though, what it says here in verse 11. It says, They, the, the brothers, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. How do believers overcome Satan? By the blood of Christ. And what? And the word of, of their testimony, of your testimony. I don't want to skim over this. Folks, the only way you can defeat Satan is by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you right now Satan is way bigger than you, way more powerful than you. 
Oh, he, he likes to pretend, and sometimes the Bible says he portrays himself as an angel of light, that he's a good guy, uh, and, and he's very deceitful, and he, and, he, and he connived Eve, and these types of things. But understand something. He is an angelic being. He is far more powerful than you or I. That's why the Bible says in the book of Jude that when Micah was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses, we don't know any more about that encounter, but Michael was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't even... There are too many people out there that have been taught by preachers out there that you, you have the authority to rebuke Satan. Oh no, I don't. The Bible says, I submit myself to the Lord. I'll resist Him and He'll flee. But He doesn't flee because I'm anything powerful. He flees because of Jesus Christ. The fact that I'm His child and I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. There's a wonderful illustration that I like to use for this. And back when I was in college at Flagler College, I was playing on the basketball team my junior year of college. And I had a roommate. And he was a big old fellow. I mean, at the time he was 6'6", 260 pounds. Incredible athlete. Literally could just stand on the floor and not just jump up and dunk a basketball with two hands. Two of us, one on each shoulder, could lock our hands like this on his shoulders, one on each side, and he could still jump up and dunk a basketball with two of us hanging on to him. This is incredible. He actually became a professional wrestler after he left college. But, uh, but uh, the guy was huge. I mean, unbelievably huge. Just one of the biggest, strongest men I've ever seen. Well, one day we were down in our dorm room, and it was uh, at night, and somebody was making noise outside the dorm room. We are on the first floor, and there was a door just not far from our room to the outside. And uh, he opened the window, and he yelled out the window and he said this. He said, uh, hey boy, knock it off. We're trying to study. And a voice from outside in the dark said, there are boys out here if you want to do something about it. So he turned to me and he said, Jim, let's go. We're going to fight him. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. I've never been in a fight in my life. I've been beat up a few times, but I never fought anybody ever. I'm, I'm just not a fighter. It's just not how I'm wired. And, and I was like, Bob, I, I ain't going with you. I'm not, I'm not a fighter. He said, either you come with me and we fight together, or I'll go take care of them and then you when I come back. <laughs> I said, let's go. And trust me, I was behind him the whole time. He got to the door. And he goes, who's first? And when they saw the size of him, I don't know how many there were, it was dark, but there were a lot of feet that just went, taking off. I said, yeah, we took care of them. I was thanking God like you wouldn't believe that there wasn't a fight because I, don't, I never hit anybody. You know, and so, but it's the same kind of a deal. Folks, I can't fight him. You can't fight him. But we overcome him. By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what has defeated Him. The blood has already been shed. It's already been covered. We're on the winning side. Oh, He don't like us, that's for sure. But that's alright. And there are times that God allows Him to do things in our lives for God's purposes. But don't say Satan's out to get me. That's like a no-brainer. He's out to get everybody. He hates God. And we're His prized creation. But you're not only overcoming by the blood of Christ, you overcome by the word of your testimony. And that's more than just saying, I believe. That's a life that is lived righteously. See, he stands before the father accusing the brothers. But you know how you can also beat him? Don't give him much to talk about. Don't give him much to talk about. Listen to Romans chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. It says, Well, what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we're proclaiming. 
that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are testified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The Lord is the Lord, same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, praise the Lord, we win by just saying yes to Jesus, no to our sin, and trusting that His blood has covered us. That's it. That's what salvation is. It's a gift. It's not Jesus and you doing the good thing. It's Jesus. He's done it all. In Revelation chapter 6, listen to verse 9. When He opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. I've heard some people say if you were to be taken to trial to be convicted as a Christian, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you? Oh, don't say, well, I go to church. There's lots of people who go to church who aren't Christian. Is your life His? First of all, do you know that you've been saved? Do you know? By the way, if, if you aren't saved, as you read the book of Revelation, you don't have a good feeling. I can tell you right now, the Spirit of God will be speaking to some of your hearts saying, you need to get this settled before this stuff happens. And if God's been talking to you, don't, don't hold back. I'm not just speaking to the people that are in the room here. I'm speaking to the people that are listening right now on the, on the, on the, on the computer. Make sure you know that you're His. Well, I'm trying to be a good person. No, don't answer that way. You overcome Satan by the blood of Jesus Christ. Simply because of Jesus and what He's done. Now just as a little tidbit as we close this uh, place in the, in the desert that He spares Israel and rescues them. Some people think it's Petra. I don't know. Sounds good to me, but it doesn't matter. Wherever it is, it'll be, it could be Holopal. You know, it, it'd be fine. God's going to take care of them. You know? God's going to take care of them. Uh, but there's another interesting thing. The earth even helps Israel during a time. Did you catch that? Whatever this flood represents, whatever kind of a wave of whatever it is that He sends after Him, the earth opens up and swallows it so it doesn't, it doesn't touch Him. Do you think about the fact that back in the, the wilderness when they were rebelling against God, the sons of Korah rebelled against God, what happened? The earth opened up and they went down to the pit right then. God controls it all. Oh, by the way, that same kind of protection is available to you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work for good for those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. I finished preaching this past weekend on Sunday night, and I did today at noon to a group of guys from Philippians chapter 4, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. I'm going to say that again because you know what? We know how to quote it, but most of us unfortunately live anxious lives as Christians. Don't be anxious about anything. But make your requests known to God with petition and with thanksgiving. See, that's the key part that we miss. 
Because then it says in verse 7, and then the peace of Christ which transcends all understanding and passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And folks, I've got to be honest with you. I've been just as guilty as you. There have been many times I've made my request to God and I gave it to God but i got no peace. You ever been there? Lord, I, I prayed about this. Lord, I gave this to You. Why is there no peace? Your word, your word says I'll get peace. And it was just this weekend as I was studying for this and looking at this that God really spoke to my heart and He said, Jim, that's because very few take the time to really put with their prayer the thanksgiving. For the result, not only for the result, but also for the fact of who He is. You see, the Bible says that God already knows what you need before you ask. So as much as He wants you to ask, make your request with petition. You don't need to spend too much time on that aspect because He already knows. I've learned in my prayers to focus more last week or so on the Thanksgiving part. And I'll just share with you, just real briefly as we close here, in our personal lives, we've gone through almost $2,000 worth of automobile repair in the last, couple, last week or so. It's very easy to go into that pattern of saying, well, there goes the Christmas money. But God has been speaking to my heart. And He's been saying, put it into practice. So today, when I came back to the house after the last little bit of more automobile work, I pulled up to the driveway and I hit the remote control button for the garage door opener. And I sat there for almost a half an hour. And I just looked in the garage. And I began to thank Him. He already knows where we are financially and all that stuff. But then God began to speak to my heart. You know what I sat there and saw? I saw three cars in the driveway. All paid for. I saw five bicycles. I saw a slaw car track we bought for AJ for Christmas a couple years ago. It was so big it didn't fit in the house. And it's actually up on a thing we built that we can raise and lower it in the garage to go play with it in the garage. I saw a washer and dryer that worked awesome. I saw a new hot water heater. I saw this air conditioning unit that had been replaced within the last so many years at our house and brand new air handler in there. And I saw a freezer full of food. I saw all this junk, more golf clubs than you could count. <laughs> I saw more than just my set of golf clubs, though I saw a set for Nicole and a set for AJ and a set for Nicole and a set for Becky. And I saw, and Elise has her set too. <laughs> I forget. You're still here? That's good. <laughs> Folks, I just sat there and just looking at my garage that we would say is full of junk, I broke into praise. And God began to speak to my heart. And He said, Jim, did you ever think you'd have this much junk? <laughs> Lord, I had no idea how much you have already. And this is what He said to me. He said, I got you this far. I'll get you through this next one too. And that's when the peace came. You've got to make your request known to God, but He already knows, so don't spend too much time on that. Then with it, don't just thank Him for what He's going to do. That's a part of it. Thank Him for what He's done. If we actually took the time to stop and look at where we are, you actually find out, you know what? I know who I am. I know who Becky is. She knows who she is. We're not capable of amassing that kind of stuff let alone the fact that I've got a house on the beach that we only paid $119,000 for. With four bedrooms and three bathrooms and a pool in the backyard. When all I could do before was focus on where's the money going to come from? 
God said, if you just stop and thank me, you'll see, you'll know exactly where it's going to come from. I've been doing it for years, and I'll do it again. And the ground opens up to protect the nation of Israel. Is that kind of protection not available to us? It's ours too. But we have to trust Him and believe that He'll do what He said He would do. And if for some reason whatever it is hits us, He let it hit us for a reason. Because He's for us. And He loves us. Let me pray for you. Father, as we wrap this up tonight, I thank You for the fact that we can be encouraged by what You've promised Israel. Because Lord, Your Word says in Romans chapter 8, if God's for us, who can, who's going to be against us? If He did not spare His own Son, will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Father, forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that Thanksgiving is a once a year celebration. Lord, may we become people who live a life of thanksgiving so that when the next thing comes, and it's going to come, Your Word says, don't worry about tomorrow, each day has enough trouble of its own. And in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Lord, when each of that, those waves come, forgive us for focusing so much on the wind and the waves. May we keep our eyes on You. May we be able to praise You in the midst of the storm because we really believe that You do care whether or not we perish. You've proven it, and You'll keep proving it. But Lord, raise up within us that spirit of power. Not of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.